Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Good morning, everybody. This is Jefferson Smith sitting in for Tom. Tom is sick and so might be the nation. And sweet home Alabama indeed, but for whom? As you probably already have heard or may already have heard, the state of Alabama has voted now for the most extreme anti-abortion law in the nation. There is no exception in this law for rape or incest or death of the mother or life of the mother. There are two intentions of this law. One is its stated intent. The second is not only its impact on Alabama, but the impact it could have on the United States of America. During this portion, we're going to talk about the reminder of why it mattered so very much that a Supreme Court seat was stolen. We're going to connect this to what's happening in the media. A little bit later on, I want to talk about Elizabeth Warren's refusal to be on Fox News, get your opinions on that and offer my own. I want us to remember the essential arguments about why a woman's right to choose was so important in the first instance, why Roe versus Wade was so important in the first instance. I worry that this is a generation that knew not Joseph. I worry that we have forgotten a critical debate in the country and some of the most important elements of that debate, including an era of back alley abortions, significant risks to health and safety for women, subjugation of women. If we actually want full agency and full power for all human beings in our country, how this relates to that. And I worry that if we take for granted some of those arguments, if we think that all the threat, uh, it's something that they talk about only on talk radio, it's not really going to happen in governance. There's always, we've had Roe versus Wade for so many decades now. It's going to stick. Well, days after, days after Justice Breyer, days after Justice Brennan, days after we had liberal justices say their concerns, excuse me, Justice Stevens, say their concerns about raising the alarm and raising the alarm about the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And I will say, I think, I thought, 
I was not as scared about the elimination of Roe versus Wade as many with whom I share political and even strategic beliefs because I thought that it might be a little bit like Miranda warnings. Miranda warnings not set forth in the Constitution. Miranda warnings carried forward from British common law. Miranda warnings got to the Supreme Court. Lots of people thought, ah, this might be when Miranda warnings go away. No longer required. No longer a clear prophylactic for statements that are damaging to defendants when that statement is by the defendant themselves. No longer needed to be given to those defendants. And then it got to the Rehnquist Court, and the Rehnquist Court didn't get rid of Miranda warnings. And upon reflection, that didn't surprise me. If you see the Rehnquist Court, if you see the modern rise of the Federalist Society Court, not merely and not primarily and not accurately, as a group of people just with a different set of jurisprudential theoretics, but instead understand it as part of a political movement, a set of political operatives who are put in lifetime appointment chairs. Then you realize, well, getting rid of Miranda warnings, you'd be getting rid of one of the few cases that the vast majority of Americans can say by name. I don't know the poll numbers on recognition of Jay Leno did his on the street interviews trying to make people look stupid years ago. How many people would have recognized Brown versus the Board of Education? A lot of people. But Miranda warnings, anybody who's watched CSI, anybody who's watched Law and Order, everybody knows Miranda warnings. And I think that they kept Miranda warnings because if they'd gotten rid of it, it would be just so obvious that the court had moved in a direction that was coming after people's individual liberties, trying to protect corporate power, trying to protect concentration of wealth, trying to protect unfettered ability of capital to make whatever choice it chooses. I'm not calling that liberty. I'm not calling that freedom. I think that is a derogation of that word. I think that is a bastardization of that word. I am saying corporate power, the power of unfettered capital, and going after individual liberties. And so they kept Miranda warnings. And I thought, well, maybe with Roe versus Wade, it'll be similar. They won't topple Roe versus Wade. They'll keep Go using it as an issue to elect candidates like Donald Trump, to motivate voters who it isn't in their financial interest to have an economic policy that focuses on concentrating wealth at the very upper echelon, trying to make sure that they can maintain their right-wing church coalition for a candidate like Donald Trump, whose personal conduct and personal views don't seem, shall we say, fully in step from the lessons we might hear in a Sunday morning sermon, that maybe they'll keep Roe versus Wade. Well, I think that Alabama might know stuff that I don't. Because Alabama has passed a law that is patently unconstitutional, that is patently, absurdly, an undue burden on a woman's right to privacy, on a woman's right to choose, on a woman's essential liberties, as defined by current Supreme Court precedent. The only way you pass that law, and by the way, 
if you take an oath when you are sworn into office to uphold the Constitution, unless you think the Supreme Court precedent is not the manifestation of the Constitution, you just violated your own oath. Members of the legislature in Alabama just violated their own oaths by passing this law. It only makes sense through a lens of thinking that the stealing of the Merrick Garland Supreme Court seat, that the appointment of the new Supreme Court justice to create a five-seat right-wing majority in the Supreme Court, that to quote the former presidential candidate, former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, we will find out if that appointment was worth it. You'd only do that if you thought you had a chance, thought you had a chance, maybe more than that, to in fact make your law, rather than the current Supreme Court precedent, the law of the land. I want to talk about the Alabama law. I want to talk about why it's absurd. I want to talk about some of the fundamental arguments that we should... We should remember from 35 years ago. We should remember from 45 years ago. Was making the case that this is, yes, about the subjugation of women in Alabama, but it is also about something broader than that, that anybody voting on this would eat, would believe one of two things. Anybody voting in favor, any state legislator voting in favor of this law in Alabama would be feeling one of two things, either that it was okay to violate the Constitution, or that they wanted to change the interpretation of the Constitution. And they wanted to make Roe versus Wade no longer the law of the land. And lest that seem not so obvious, or lest that seem like I am reaching a bit or making a leap of analysis, let's just listen to State Representative Terry Collins, Republican, who said after the vote, this bill is about challenging Roe versus Wade. I will say it again. This bill is about challenging Roe versus Wade, end quote. This is going to help define, and the timing of this, the timing of this, I think is very much on purpose. And it is not only the timing in the rearview mirror after the current composition of the Supreme Court was determined. It is not only a recognition that with the confirmation of not only previously confirmed Chief Justice John Roberts, not only with the older Clarence Thomas, not only with the previously confirmed Samuel Alito, now also with Brett Kavanaugh. Now also with Neil Gorsuch. Now also with that stolen Supreme Court seat, that there is a chance to overturn it. Not only in the rearview mirror, but also through the front glass, also through the windshield, also ahead is the election. Remember, see, they got a problem. The right wing has had a problem for a while, and that is somehow having an argument for freedom and 
calling the unfettered control of capital freedom. That is an odd thing. I am surprised that linguists and media and human beings and people with conscience allowed our language to get away with that. But let's put that on pause for a moment. Somehow to make that the clarion call and by that not include the fundamental freedom for slightly more than half of the population of our country, not including essential freedoms for women. But also, they have this other challenge that they have elected a guy who was willing to sign their tax breaks, who was willing to be more extreme in his language than other candidates so as to really keep a hold of the right-wing Fox News and right-wing radio listener base. And do that somehow by sticking with or getting the right-wing Christians to stick with him. Despite his personal conduct, personal beliefs, and lack of churchiness. And the way they do that is the Roe vs. Wade. We'll be back to talk about it more. I'm Jeff Smith. This is the Tom Hartman Show. So we are talking about Alabama. We are talking about a woman's right to choose. Something we can now so clearly not take for granted. Something that so clearly is not merely a line that a candidate uses to build support. I want to talk about it in the context of the upcoming presidential elections, but right now we have people patiently waiting. I want to hear from you. Deborah in Albuquerque, New Mexico, on AM 1350. Deborah, thanks so much for calling. My family's originally from Alabama, and I remember when abortion became legal in Mississippi. I was living in Mississippi at the time. I was a high school dropout single mother whose husband walked out on her, and I did have an abortion because I had a child already, and I didn't know if I could take care of him without an education or job skills. Eventually, I did get my GED, and at 50, got my PhD. But I feel this law in Alabama is against poor people and minorities because a rich person will always fly somewhere and get an abortion. It's not going to affect them. It will only affect poor people, and they will have higher problems with poverty. And we're not talking about this. The Republican fascist regime has been attacking brown, black, minorities, and poor people for years, and I really believe they want the oligarchs and a caste system of poverty. Deborah, thank you so much, and thank you so much for putting this through a lens of equality, equity, and fairness. Yes, for women, but also for people of color and also for people experiencing poverty, that any way I would agree would be merely essentially restating what you said. But I will restate it for emphasis and appreciation that a poor person doesn't have as easy a chance to take a plane and hop over somewhere to go get that, doesn't have the network of financial resources to make that as easy. Heck, in the olden days, women could fly to another country, but only rich women could afford to fly to another country. Thank you for helping us see it in that lens, and thanks so much for your call and your candor. Thank you. Craig from El Granada, California. Go ahead. I was a law clerk for a retired federal judge. I have a background, 40-year background, undefeated litigator, and I've also written law that passed unanimously. And when I look at Roe v. Wade, I also grew up in an all-girl family, and I was also adopted, so I want to say for the record, being an adopted person, you come predisposed to be pro-life, but also growing up in an all-girl family, 
you come predisposed to realizing every person in America, as far as I know, and I've worked at the Supreme Court level, as far as I know, every person in America has a right to control their destiny and their body. And when we take that right away, we are in fundamental violation of many things in the Constitution. We try to make logical choices and say, well, an embryo has a heartbeat or whatever, and so doesn't this life form also have a choice? And we could also go into the conflicts made when someone says, I'm a family values person. And when we look at the Republicans, many laws that are being passed, the way people are living today, and you say, well, if you're a family value person, why aren't we feeding kids in school? Why aren't we taking care of pregnant women who are really alive and don't their lives matter? And so we can go into a long debate about who is right here. And I suggest the Constitution provides ample framework for us to say that every person in America, especially citizens and free men and women, have a right to control their bodies. And I think an amendment to the Constitution is the first step to enshrining Roe v. Wade so that women never have to worry about this again. And the second thing, a presidential candidate, and I'm not going to get into all those policies, but I looked at this and I said on day one, the first thing the federal government could do, any progressive federal government, is say, women, if you're in a state that has these sort of laws and problems, we have a national Medicare system. Yeah, as we all have heard, we call it Medicare for all. I call it free universal health care. No copay, no problems. And if you're a woman in a state like this, I think the federal government should step up to the plate and say, you go down to your local airline, you show them your maternity slip that says, you know, your OBGYN says you're pregnant. And you go there and you get a first class ticket, federal government paid to a state that doesn't have a problem with it. You go and have the counseling that every woman, I think, should have before that, whether it's with a physician and say, are you sure you want to do this? You don't want to look at adoption, you know, but you have a right. And you go see that counseling. And if you want to go see some cleric or some priest, that's on you while you're there in that city. It'll maybe take 24 hours to think about it. Come back the next day. And if you say, no, I want to go forward with this, this child would be negatively impacted. I'm concerned about overpopulation. I'm concerned that I'm a, a teenager, whatever, whatever the reason is. I'm a woman, I have control over my body. Then the federal government pays for it in the other state. You fly back home first class, federal government pays for all those hotel bills for women. And I think we owe that to the women who we all have to remember. This country and adopted kids and all of the great technology we have, everything we have would not exist if it wasn't for the women, the mothers in our life. We got to take care of them as equal citizens that have every right to control their bodies. That's my personal position on all of this. Craig, thank you so much. And roughly speaking, my personal position, too, that the fact that a nearly entirely white male crew of state legislators would think that they are in the best position to evaluate the balancing of the interests and the fundamental freedoms and what equity, equality, fairness, freedom, morality should mean with the most essential functions and choices that women have to make is absurd, is itself deeply misogynist. Hey, Louise and I have been using CBD for a couple of years now for basically pain relief and sleep, but we had been using CBD that also had some pot in it, I suppose, because of, you know, it's legal here in Oregon. Um, but now there's a CBD oil that's legal all over the United States. It's the best quality you can get. And it's derived from hemp, which is, you know, related to marijuana, but it's not marijuana. And so it's, it's legal and it doesn't get you high. And, but it does, you know, have these extraordinary properties. 
of uh, pain relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. It's from New Leaf Naturals. NuleafNaturals.com is the website. Um, CBD oil, non-intoxicating, so it's ideal if you're looking for the health benefits of cannabinoids without, you know, getting high. This does not get you high. It's non-toxic and has potent pain relieving and anti-inflammatory uh, properties. And the, th this is the brand that, that Louise and I trust and use, New Leaf, NU Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals, the highest quality concentrated CBD oil on the market, 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, grown in the United States. And as I said, the only ingredient is hemp, so it's totally pure and simple and legal. So go to newleafnaturals.com, N-U-Leafnaturals.com, to save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, to spell T-H-O-M. Go to newleafnaturals.com for premium cannabinoid wellness. There's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. Use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, to get 30% off. And if you're the first person to tweet me, the newleafnaturals.com website, I'll send you a free bottle of New Leaf Natural CBD oil. Let's be clear about something. Let us be crystal clear about at least something. The fact that the Alabama law does not have an exception for rape or incest. The fact that the abortion law allows for excuse me, would prohibit a woman from having an abortion, even in a case of incest. Let us be clear what that means. Incest in the United States does not mean Cersei and Jamie Lannister. It does not mean some troubling but nonetheless romanticized thing on television. It doesn't mean Jonah from Veep. It doesn't mean some video on the dark web or even on the not so dark web. What it means in real life is trigger warnings on this whole darn thing. This is a painful topic for a lot of people. By talking about it plainly, I don't mean to cause additional harm. And if you need to listen to something else, we're talking about this tough stuff. I totally get it. Most welcome you to stick with us. We will try to treat the topics with some sensitivity, but they will be tough subjects and we will deal with the tough subjects. That we're talking about in the United States of America, we're talking about incest, is we're essentially talking about child rape. We're talking about a 12 year old girl who is made forcibly to have sex by a family member, by a brother, uncle, cousin maybe, and requiring that girl that woman, that girl, young woman if you prefer, but I think they're 12, that's a girl, saying there will be penalty for you or your doctor, criminal penalty for you or your doctor, if you don't take that pregnancy to term. Let's be clear about that. This is insidious. This is immoral. This is not merely a political issue. This is a deeply important moral issue, and it is offensive. And it should offend every American. Let's take Wendy's call. Wendy, you're on from East Rockaway. Thanks for calling. I am absolutely sick about this. All I can think of is that it amounts to forced motherhood. It's supposed to be 
such a wonderful and beautiful thing and forcing someone to do it makes it very difficult for a woman to find joy in it and be able to do it the way that she wants to. I'm a mother myself. I have a one-year-old, I'm 39. I waited till this age so that I would be able to provide a good life for him, what I deemed to be, you know, a good life. You know, I waited to develop my career and make enough money so that I could buy a house with my husband and have all of the things that we wanted to in order to, you know, provide a good home for a baby. And we did have an abortion back in the day. We did. Because it was not the right time. If we had been forced to go through with it at that point, I don't know how happy we would be. I mean, yes, every child is wonderful. We should celebrate every life, all of that business. But I really am so glad that I was able to wait. And it makes me so sad and hurt and angry that there are other women out there who would have to essentially stop their lives because someone else is making the decision for them. Yeah, because some politicians in Alabama want to build power, build power on the backs of women in their state and want to force the Supreme Court to make a decision about changing the interpretation of the Constitution to force that same choice in legislature across the country. That they also just can't handle the fact that there are so many women, I mean, who are excelling and doing so, and I believe that Roe v. Wade is one of the things that actually made that possible. The reason why you have more women in the workplace, the women who, why, reason why you have more women who are successful beyond the dreams of our grandmothers, for goodness sake. I mean, abortion rights is what gave us the ability to say, okay, now wait a second here, we're going to be able to plan our lives out so that we can have our cake and eat it too, have the career, and then have the family if we choose to. Yeah, Wendy, this was the thing that I was too insensitive to as a younger person. I knew sort of what my politics were. I still, you know, I wouldn't have disagreed with anything you said, but it wasn't until, it really wasn't until, you know, probably my relation with my own wife and when it dawned on me a little more deeply, where I felt it a little bit more passionately. And even the depth of that feeling happening even more recently, that to just parrot what you said, that we can't have fundamental equality if we don't address this issue. If women do not have rights over their own bodies and we can't understand the abortion debate if we don't understand it through a lens of feminism, through a lens of equality, through a lens of bending the artificial justice and through a lens of exactly what you were saying was a chance for women to have full agency, full control, not only of that choice, but generally being able to shape their own lives, uh, that we have to make sure women are not merely concubines of the state and that dudes aren't making critical and yeah. all important decisions. I couldn't agree with you more. And, and, and I if so I, appreciate I you calling. Please go ahead. The fact that there's anyone out there making it sound as though the choice and actually going through with an abortion is some sort of light decision is, I think, the thing that really makes me the angriest. Yeah. It's something that takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of reflection. How hard was um, it for you? Oh, my God. It was, it, was, it was hard, but we both knew that it was the right thing to do. I mean, I think that we were both kind of at the coming to the heights of our careers and realized, like, no, if we want to actually have a family, we need to do this the right way. And that was a very difficult decision. We couldn't tell anybody. I mean, only very, very few friends could we even 
mention it to. So, you know, there wasn't a lot of support there because of it. But as we got older, or as I got older anyway, you know, I opened up to a few more people and I started to see, you know, just how many people around me went through the same thing and how there are so many of us who decided to wait till we were in our mid to late 30s. And some of us who are even deciding to wait a little bit longer, you know, it's such a taboo thing. It's such a scary thing. It's a hard thing to talk about. But, you know, maybe the only thing that may come of this that's positive is the fact that it'll get people talking. I'm calling a radio show, for goodness sake, and saying, you know, very, very personal things that I can't even tell my parents, you know, because it is so important. And I think that maybe if we talked about it a little bit more, it would be easier for women to stand up for themselves and for the men around them to stand up as well. And for people to sort of be willing to have courage that they might otherwise lack because they thought the courage previously wasn't as necessary. Yes, yes, it's hard. But you know what? Thank goodness there's enough men out there as well who are truly understanding of this and supportive of the sisters and cousins and wives and (laughs) girlfriends around them because, you know, it takes... Women have to support each other, but men have to support the women as well. If you had a chance to talk with a member of the Alabama legislature and recognize that there are other legislators in other states who would jump at the chance to vote in the same way that Alabama legislators did. I live on the West Coast. I still know that former colleagues of mine in the legislature, there are more than a half a dozen who would almost certainly jump at the chance to vote alongside. It's not only an Alabama problem, but if you had a chance to sit down with one of these Alabama legislators, given your own experience, Wendy, what what would you want them to hear? What would you what would you want them to understand that you think they might not understand? I, I would want them to understand that they were elected to office to represent their constituents, not their own personal religious beliefs. If you believe that something was written down in a book by a deity three thousand years ago, that's wonderful for you. But you represent many, many people and the majority of the people in this country believe that abortion rights are women's rights and health rights. It goes beyond just the physical health. It goes to mental health. It goes to so many aspects. And any lawmaker who thinks that <laughs> that they can impose their own views on this country is a reason for them not to hold the office, and they should be voted out. If they really listen to what the majority of the country wants, that's really what they should be doing as lawmakers. Wendy, thank you so much for being willing to call. You said that it was not only a challenging thing to do, but a challenging thing to talk about, and appreciate you so much for being willing and, to address that challenge. And if we challenge. can just say, and I will say it again, it amounts to forced motherhood. Yeah. It should not be forced. You should do it by choice. Wendy, thank you so much. You're listening to Tom Hartman. If you're like me, then safeguarding your money through market downturns is a clear priority. And frankly, we've seen enough market volatility to make any investor nervous. For people like us who think outside the box and read between the lines, it's becoming even more clear that the insider secret of accumulating physical gold is becoming a lot less of a secret and more of a trend. According to the World Gold Council, in 2018 alone, central bank gold purchases increased by over 74%. The bottom line is that we are starting to see the cracks forming in our economy. And the faster you take action, the better your opportunity. There's only one company I personally recommend in this industry, and that's the expert strategists 
at ITM Trading. They specialize in wealth protection and opportunity positioning. Both, as you know, are imperative in our current economic climate. Call my friends at ITM Trading at one 888 gold Ask for their free gold protection guide and hedge your bets like the top 1% do. Call one 888 gold That's 1-888-O-W-N-G-O-L-D. one 888 gold Sweet home, Alabama, indeed. But for whom? For people just joining us, for people who have not been paying attention to the news, Alabama has passed the most restrictive anti-abortion law in the country. For people who think it is only about Alabama, understand that even people voting for this in the legislature said plainly and on the record, this is about challenging Roe versus Wade in the Supreme Court. This is about everybody in the country. This is about women and trans people who get pregnant, who might get pregnant, want to control their own lives. This is about extreme cases and cases that are not extreme. Families making choices, human beings making choices, defining the shape of their lives. This is not only about one southern state or a large handful of male legislators. This is about a movement that has taken hold of a political party in this country and a political party that's taken hold of the governmental apparatus of this country. Anybody who thinks, ah, Alabama's weird, let's go about our day. We need to take a moment. We need to not just go about our day. Let's hear from somebody in Alabama at this moment. Tony from WCPT and afraid of me. Tony, go ahead, from Huntsville. Jefferson, how you doing? Holding up. Uh, man, listen, this is nuts, but they're so excited. Oh my God. They're excited down here. This, this, this legislature is ridiculous, but listen, this is the land of Roy Moore. So if anybody's surprised, they shouldn't be Roy Moore lost to Doug Jones because of this very issue. But remember Roy Moore was the guy that was hanging around high schools. Remember, yep. he was the guy that got banned from the mall yep. because he was hanging around high school girls in his 30s. Remember that? Yep. So this is how they think. And when you think about the white supremacists down here, they think about white male genocide. And the only way they can stop it, the way they can stop the intermixing of white women with black men or Hispanic or whatever may be the case, they have to control their women. I've talked to a lot of these guys, and they're saying feminists are crazy. We got to find a way to get control of our women so that we can impregnate our women and make them hold these babies because they're having babies for black men. They're having babies for Mexicans. We'll be, we'll be made it off the planet here in a few years. What the heck can we do to stop these women from going either to other races or to have them have our babies? But you got to understand that most of these dudes are just cowards. These are guys who call themselves being celibate from women, or I forgot the little name of the group. But these are guys who get in a position to change the laws 
And now they can do to women with the law what they were cowards to do in high school. They couldn't date. Nobody wanted them. But now they got power and they become white supremacists or they have supremacist views. And now this thing is about how do we get our women to have white babies? And they're going to redefine what incest is. I want to pick up on two things, or at least amplify two things. One is, again, seeing this through a lens of subjugation of women, and also understand it through its political timing. Understand the timing is not accidental. This was consulted prior, not random. Alabama has had its current legislative composition for a while. It did not merely recently turn right wing. The members of the Republican Party in Alabama who are in the legislature did not recently form their views on this topic. So why now? Two reasons. One, because Justice Kennedy is no longer a justice. I'm not saying Justice Kennedy is any hero, but I am saying that the appointment of Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh, the change to now five arch right-wing justices opens an opportunity. Means that when they passed this, an unconstitutional law, when they violated their oath of office, I have not read the Alabama oath of office, I would be shocked if it does not say they are to uphold the Constitution of the United States. When they did that, they, well, this is give us a chance to change the interpretation of the Constitution because we got five votes in the Supreme Court. But the other is the timing looking forward. The timing is seen through the lens of the Doug Jones campaign for re-election to the U.S. Senate. When they recognize that he's a pretty well-liked guy, that Roy Moore is the nominee, Roy Moore got defeated before, what could make Alabama voters go to the polls to support Roy, to support Roy Moore? What could get voters who leave the pulpit to go to the ballot box? And in the pulpit, they're hearing, thou shalt not steal. And they learn a little bit more about Donald Trump finances. They hear lessons from the pulpit about how thou should not covet thy neighbor's wife. And they learn a little more about Donald Trump's personal behavior with women. When they hear from the pulpit, thou shalt not lie. And they realize the current occupant of the White House has turned lying. I'm not going to call it an art form because it's not very artful. But it is an, I don't even call it expertise because it's not that hard. It is bold. But has turned it into an absurd, ridiculous level of untruthiness. They say, well, how are we still supposed to vote for this cat? We're told we're supposed to respect family values. This cat separated children from their families at the border. Why am I supposed to be motivated for this guy? This guy, if I I'm, if I'm, don't have a bunch of dough, why am I that excited about all the benefits for tax cuts going to the people who are already doing really well and owning most of the stuff in the country? Why am I excited about that? Oh, wait a minute. What if the number one topic that people are talking about in Alabama, the Doug Jones election, and maybe the Roe Moore election, what if the topic that's being talked about at the pulpit is just a woman's right to choose that they will not call that, that they will not even consider in that sermon 
the impact on freedoms for women. They will not even consider the freedoms of trans pregnant people in this country in that sermon. They will not consider the implications that has on all of our obligations to try to work for a somewhat more just, fair world. That will not be mentioned in the sermon. What will be mentioned is they got to get to the polls. Doesn't matter if the occupant of the White House is on their side. It doesn't matter if the occupant of the White House is moral. But he will agree with that Southern Baptist minister on this issue and therefore get to the polls. The timing here is important. We got calls. We're going to be taking them. My name is Jeff Smith. I'm sitting in for Tom. This is a serious day. We are dealing with this not only as a news headline and then moving on. Because if we want to correctly define freedom in this country and understand that freedom and equality are not always at odds. In fact, freedom and equality are necessary for anyone at some level to have either. And if we're going to have equality in this country, that means we have to have freedom and human beings have to have freedom of what they do with their bodies. And it is time to sound the alarm because it ain't just about Alabama. This is the Tom Hartman Program. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I'm Jeff. Angela from Silver Springs, go ahead. Uh, yes, sir. So a few minutes ago, you had asked if there was anything that was missing. Yeah. And and if you take the time out and you take the emotion out of what's going on with all this abortion stuff, um, it's essentially the emotion that's kicking it to the Supreme Court. And when it gets to the Supreme Court, it's actually going to divide our country and where states have their own separate walls and their own separate things, and we won't recognize the federal government. So it's shattering our country and creating some civil war. And the other thing I wanted to point out, and I wanted to ask, I, I know you're pretty nationwide. I want to know if Camilla or, or Elizabeth Warren, you know, if they were to get into office, if they're going to sign the Equal Rights Amendment. I, we're stuck at 35 states. We need 36. Can't we just get this through with an executive order and forget all this? I mean, we've already decided it 35, 40 years ago. It's over. So yeah. that's where I was at with both, both the subject of abortion and, like, how they're breaking us up. Uh, two great points. So uh, and appreciate the call. I appreciate both of them. So the first, there is absolutely a strategy of divide and conquer. Uh, that the, exactly. The, the tax bill was also a strategy of divide and conquer by making uh, state taxes no longer deductible in the same way. That was explicitly, that was explicitly a move against blue states. When the Confederates, when the post-Confederacy Confederates said states' rights, what they were talking about was in fact dividing the nation. When the pre and during Confederates, Confederacy Confederates were saying civil war, that was explicitly to deny, to divide the nation. Dividing the nation is a deep strand within the uh, racist right wing, misogynist right wing within this country. It used to occupy more clearly power in multiple political parties. It has now become more embedded in a single political party. Not entirely, but largely. And that has taken root to totally control, since the past the Civil Rights Act, the, uh, the governments in the deep south in the United States. 
and merely want to amplify and appreciate your point that does not only have the effect of dividing the country, it is part of the raison d'etre. It is part of the motive. It is part of the reason in the first instance. Just do the right thing. It's equal rights. It's equality. It puts everything in order. I am confident that uh, that Elizabeth Warren and, and Kamala Harris, or Kamala Harris, are in favor of the Equal Rights Amendment. Whether you could do the Equal Rights Amendment with an executive order, that seems tricky. Because what you're actually trying to do is, with the Equal Rights Amendment, is have something in the Constitution that supersedes an executive order and even supersedes Congress. But getting that 36 states seems important. Hey, Louise and I have been using CBD for a couple of years now for basically pain relief and sleep, but we had been using CBD that also had some pot in it, I suppose, because of, you know, it's legal here in Oregon. Um, but now there's a CBD oil that's legal all over the United States. It's the best quality you can get. And it's derived from hemp, which is, you know, related to marijuana, but it's not marijuana. And so it's, it's legal and it doesn't get you high. And, but it does, you know, have these extraordinary properties of uh, pain relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. It's from New Leaf Naturals. NUleafnaturals.com is the website. Um, CBD oil, non-intoxicating, so it's ideal if you're looking for the health benefits of cannabinoids without, you know, getting high. This does not get you high. It's non-toxic and has potent pain relieving and anti-inflammatory uh, properties. And the, th this is the brand that, that Louise and I trust and use, New Leaf, NU Leaf Naturals, New Leaf Naturals the highest quality concentrated CBD oil on the market, 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, grown in the United States, and as I said, the only ingredient is hemp, so it's totally pure and simple and legal. So go to newleafnaturals.com, n-u-leafnaturals.com, to save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to n-u-leafnaturals.com, premium cannabinoid wellness there's only one place newleafnaturals.com use the promo code tom t-h-o-m to get 30 percent off and if you're the first person to tweet me the newleafnaturals.com website i'll send you a free bottle of new leaf natural cbd oil michael you've been waiting thank you you are calling from denver colorado go ahead michael Yes, hi, good morning, uh, uh, Jeff. Uh, hey, let me say, uh, i got to thank Tom and everything for bringing people like you on when, you know, he needs a breather and all, because uh, uh, you guys do not miss a beat. Um, Thanks, man. Uh, uh, I really appreciate the, the conversation today. I just, I just wanted to mention just uh, my phrase of putting it this way, theocratic misogyny. This has been going on for centuries. And all, I'm a, I'm a real, uh, I'm a history buff. Let me put it to you that way. I used to be a teacher and everything, but uh, history. Going back and reviewing over the course of time, what in particular, um, the, you know, the three supposed great religions have brought to the world and all, has been always this thing. Remember the bumper sticker, Eve was framed? Very much so. And, and it's still going on. The beat goes on today with the kind of thinking that we have in particular with, I want to call it the far fringe, proselytizing Christian and, you know, uh, religious sects that we have in this country, and I'm sure in Europe too, but in this country in particular. And um, Yeah, more so here than in Europe. Oh, yeah, more so here than in Europe and all. And what it's doing, it's, it's really dragging down, you know, the progress that we can be making 
as a society. And if we don't get out of this vicious circle soon, and this has been repetitive throughout history, to be very honest with you, I think we're heading to another war, but it's going to be a cultural, a political war where within the country we're warring against those that can't defend themselves and using them as the scapegoats. Appreciate that, Michael. It does get pretty quickly into the question of theocracy. It does get pretty quickly into the question of uh, the uh, essential nature or the or the strain of fundamentalist Christianity, Old Testament of, of yes, Southern Christianity in the United States. And when we depart from lessons of loving thy neighbor, lessons of curing the sick, of helping the poor, of being a steward of the land, uh, lessons that are talked about by the teacher that was Jesus, vastly more than lines from Leviticus about punishing people in the Old Testament. Vastly more. But that said, that a powerful case can be made that application, uh, that, the, that the story of Adam and Eve, that so many of the applications of fundamentalist Christianity uh, some would say intended certainly can be used for purposes of maintaining, building, strengthening uh, uh, white male supremacy. And, the, uh, and, that is, and, and for those of us who root for the lessons of loving thy neighbor, who root for the lessons of helping the poor, of curing the sick, of that it's easier to fit a camel through an eye of a needle for a rich man to make it to heaven, for the lessons of being a steward of the land, it pains us to think if the lessons are primarily about subjugation. Time for a news break. I'm Jeff Smith. This is the Tom Hartman Show. We've got Ellen Ratner, Talk Media News, talkmedianews.com, to give us that news break. We've been talking largely about Alabama. How you doing, Ellen, and where do you want to go? Hi, what do you want well, to talk about? first of all, I want to just say that your last caller is very interesting because I'm doing a book with my high school class. It's our 50th anniversary of our graduation. And I asked them, what do you think about what's going on now? And to a person, they all say that we failed in the 60s which I think we actually did. That's kind of interesting, but okay. So now, um, the, uh, it's interesting that there was a, something put out by the State Department saying that non-emergency personnel has to leave Iraq because of what's going on in Iran. They're really afraid of what's going on in Iran, in Iraq, and that somehow they're going to target Americans. I mean, it's hard to believe, but that is what's really going on. And so uh, I think that's interesting. How much, how, much is this, how much is this viewed in a lens of a, of a run-up to a John Bolton-inspired international conflict? Uh, and who is it that's making the advice to leave? Is it, is, it, is it the State Department? Is it the Defense the Department? The State Department is saying that you have to leave them unless you're emergency yeah. personnel. So if you're non-emergency personnel, families, etc., then you have to leave Iraq, not Iran, Iraq. Yeah. It's quite staggering, frankly. Yeah. All right, keep going. All right. Now, um, it's very interesting that the Trump resort apparently is severely underperforming. He took over the Dorrell Hotel in Florida and made it into a Trump resort, and 69% they are down of what they were before Trump became president. So a lot of people are refusing to go because of Donald Trump. 
and they don't want to be associated with that. They don't want to spend money. It's quite staggering. Yeah, and so, but but fortunately, he, he gets at least a little bit of it recouped by using campaign money to filter through and launder uh, campaign money back into his own coffers by using Trump properties. Uh, and and well, certainly the Trump Hotel in Washington D.C. was that way, and then the Democratic National Committee put lights on the Trump Hotel and actually wrote some things on it. I don't remember what they wrote, but they actually wrote some sure. things on the Trump Hotel right in Washington, D.C. Sure. What's next? Okay. The Alabama abortion law. Now, yeah. that was passed 25 to 6. If you're a physician and you perform an abortion, even if it's the result of rape or incest, you can get 99 years in prison, which is, of course, a life sentence for any physician. And it's really quite staggering. We don't know whether the governor's going to sign it or not. She's got five days, but she's been opposed to abortion. So we think that she's going to sign it. And, of course, this is going to be Roe versus Wade. Now, there is something called stare decisis, which means that the court doesn't overturn previous things. But, of course, they did overturn slavery. And so uh, we do know that sometimes they do do that. But what we don't know is whether they're going to even accept this case, whether it's a state's rights case. We don't know what's really going on with the Alabama abortion law. All we know is that it passed 25 to 6. And the first question will be whether what happens at the what happens at the district court level and the circuit court level uh, b- before it get. And I will be curious to see if there is a federal district court judge who will overturn this based on the current law of the land. That would be my expectation. Uh, that this will get would get struck down by a district court judge, uh, and then and then go to the court of appeals, and then and then we'll see. By the way, Governor Ivy's number in Alabama who's making this decision. Just in case people wanted to know it, apparently is three three four. 242-7100. Governor Ivey going to be making the decision about whether to sign this law. And the number is three, five days Five days to call 334-242-7100. We've been talking a lot about that, Ellen. And feel free to have more of your perspective on that, but also would welcome any other any other things that we want to make oh, sure yeah, still in our, in our side view mirror. On. So the United Kingdom, basically, they had a, uh, a general who said that uh, basically uh, that, uh, you know, Iraq was, Iran, sorry, Iran was being really bad news. But now the U.K. Defense Ministry has basically said, oh, well, everybody knows if you read what he said, that he didn't really say that. Well, yes, he did say that. But the U.K. Defense Ministry is going back on that. My wonder is whether they're getting any pushback from the Trump administration. Has there been comment by the Trump administration on, speaking of the Trump administration and your previous topic, has there been comment by the Trump administration on on Alabama's decision? The Trump administration has been totally silent on that. So we don't really know where they are. And, of course, Sarah Huckabee Sanders doesn't do any briefings, so we don't know where they're at. And uh, President Trump has not made himself available to the press, so we don't know where, the, where he's at on that. We just don't know anything. 
Well, we know is where he used to be, and uh, where used to, where he thought he was supposed to be to be able to hang out in New York society, uh, and then we know where he landed when he wanted to win a win a Republican primary. Uh, I think that the the Republican Party now probably has to have split views. One doesn't like the idea of Florida and Ohio uh, thinking of themselves as being Alabama. Uh, on the other hand, they want uh, their voters to come out. Any other story you want to make sure we cover before we go to break? Oh, sure. There is a Mueller report, and fifty six percent said there was a, 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 t- a poll that was done and 56 percent said he should testify 19 percent said no so people want Mueller to testify before congress and also the faa administrator basically is testifying today before the house on the 737 problem with the plane a yeah. boeing 737 yep. uh, plane well we appreciate you how you doing personally Oh, I'm doing okay, but, you know, there's a lot going on. It's never dull in Washington. <laughs> well, we appreciate you calling in Ellen Ratner, Talk Media News. Thank you. All right, Ellen, take care. We'll be back in just a little bit. And I know I addressed that really quickly because I didn't want to chew into Ellen's time too much. But this does raise an interesting question for national Republican strategists that they do recognize that they need the issue of Roe versus Wade, the issue of abortion, they want this to be a major issue within evangelical voters, but they don't want it to be an issue among lots of other voters. We'll talk about that and more in just a second. This is Jeff. We're getting pretty close to the big, big finish. We're gonna do a quick speed round. I promise, well, at least I said I would. Is that a promise? Is that the same thing as a promise that I would offer my thoughts on Elizabeth Warren uh, rejecting Fox News' invitation? Let's do a speed round, then I'll try to get to that before we close in about five minutes. Jenny, you're from Clio. You're in the speed round. Go ahead. Hi, my name's Jenny. I had an abortion. and uh, my husband was using drugs, so I decided to have an abortion. And I had it. And on my daughter's birthday, I had a little daughter. I was hemorrhaging and went into an after-hours clinic and proceeded to hemorrhage for six hours. And they were getting me ready to transfer for um, transfusions. But it did end up stopping. What I'm trying to get at more is I'm very concerned about the organization behind this whole anti-abortion thing because Justice Breyer has already issued a warning. Yep. He's very concerned, priori notice, yep. about a previous precedent overturn recently of, uh, I think it's, I can't remember the name, it's Gazelle or something versus uh, Hall. And that was just done. It overturned a 40-year precedent. This is no mistake. This is no accident. And also in Michigan, I lived in California at the time I was I had the um, abortion. And I was brought up in Michigan, but it's very organized here. Uh, Volunteers of America, if you can look that organization up. And also ARIBA, I think it's O-R-B-A-C-A. They have organizations all over um, over 20 states trying to push holistic alternatives. They're getting Title X funding now. This is no... It's no joke. <laughs> no, this is it's no joke. It's not just something that's happening in one state. There's been a national movement that's connected to the uh, the rise of the current Republican Party uh, that does not have the heart and soul and mind and agreement of a majority of people in the country, but does have the, uh, the U.S. Senate, does have a majority of the Supreme Court, does have the presidency, uh, and we have an anti-majoritarian government, uh, and, we, and they are working to 
have a legal structure and elections apparatus that can preserve an anti-majoritarian, uh, anti-majoritarian government. It is probably absurd for me to think that a speed round on this topic would make any sense. Uh, let me at least uh, fulfill this promise. Elizabeth uh, Warren turned down Fox News. Bernie Sanders agreed to go on Fox News. I think it's a really interesting question. I see it as a collective action problem. There is benefit from, and I will say I agree, I applaud Elizabeth Warren's decision not to go on Fox News. Uh, I see it as a collective action problem. If you go on, you get some benefit. Might get some votes, a lot of people watch it. Uh, You'll definitely get some attention because not only Fox News will talk about the fact that you went on. Uh, She does extraordinarily well in town hall situations. I have seen, I think, only two or three presidential candidates, maybe four in my lifetime, that I think do as well in a town hall context as Elizabeth Warren. Uh, the, in many respects, I think it would be, it's good for the candidate who goes on. Some people you know, may be wacky and say, why'd you do that? But as long as you do a good job, I think it probably benefits you. But the problem is, is that if everybody goes on, if every Democratic candidate says, yes, we're, we'll do the Fox News town hall, some people say, oh, it'll be good because it'll help shape the Fox News viewers' worldview. Let's be clear. No, it won't. Because Fox News has, let's say it takes 10 hours to 10, to 10 ha- candidates, one hour each. I'm giving even credit for commercials. But see, there are 168 hours in a week. Let's only count 100 of them. Let's say 68 hours for sleeping. So there's only 100 hours a week. That means there's 5,000, 5,200 actually, give or take, 5,000 hours a year where they can propagandize, where they can program or reprogram or deprogram against 10 hours for the candidates. Meanwhile, if every candidate says, no, we don't want to do that, we know it's not going to have any impact on changing the shape of Fox News, all it's going to do is give you credibility so you can hold on to your advertisers, who some of which have been bucking when they realize that it is a misogynist and racist cult organization, when they realize it is a propagandist arm of a toxic White House. And well, maybe we don't want to affiliate with that stuff. When they realize it's not fact-based. But if every Democratic candidate goes on, they might be helping themselves individually, but collectively, they're helping burnish a little bit the fair and balanced reputation of Fox News. I want to say thank you for everybody participating today. Uh, And that's not me knocking a particular candidate for agreeing to go on. I can understand why they would. I could, I, I apply, you know, heck, we've been talking about religion today. Jesus talked to the heathens. One of the things people praise Jesus for. But I think that the dynamics of corporate media are different. Want to say thank you to Trish. Want to say thank you to all of our callers, people who shared their stories. Trish's who grand, whose grandmother died from an illegal abortion during the Depression, leaving six children, including two 10-month-old twins, to, if not fend for themselves, at least fend, for, fend in a more difficult world. This is a tough topic today. Hugely appreciate your patience with, your support of this show, your welcoming and kindness for me. Tom will be back, I'm going to say God willing, tomorrow to be with you. You are the coalition of the benevolently irrational, the people doing 
good things for no good reason. The people who are willing to solve collective action problems, who are willing to solve problems like climate change, who are willing to take some personal cost to make sure that we can address issues of democracy in the middle class. Without you, democracy is not possible. With you, we've got a chance. Let's fight for civil rights. Let's fight for the rights of all human beings. Let's fight for fundamental freedoms. Freedom's our word. We're for freedom. That's gotta be everybody's freedom. Thank you for being freedom fighters. You are priceless. Definition of priceless, worth a lot, not for sale. We love you. Take care. listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.